Well, thank you, uh, Kevin, and thank you, everyone else, for uh, I've, 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 I've turned into such a crybaby. That's the that's the reality of it. Is that? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. My my. Uh, uh, my dad, I remember vivid memories uh, it, back in the Baptist church when my dad was deacon. Deacon of the day was, uh, you remember the deacon of the day. And all, his only job was to get up there and pray. That's all he had to do, just pray. Just had to pray. And inevitably, he'd get up there to start the prayer, and uh, he'd start to choke up. And my brother and I were like, oh, brother. I said, dad. You just got to pray. That's all you had to do. You just had to pray. Why are you crying? And now I'm like, I'm turned into my dad. Every, every, time, I, every time I turn around, this is some, some reason to cry. So, uh, but again, thank you all for uh, all, the, all the wonderful words of encouragement, support, and, and uh, affirmation you received. I, I love this church. I love it. This church is so wonderful. And uh, uh, it's a, I'm going to get choked up. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a joy to be a part of it. So, so thank you. Um, uh, so let's, let's get started. Let's talk about uh, Ephesians. Uh, this is our 10th installment in our Ephesians uh, study. Uh, and just a, a word, we will continue on into the fall with, with uh, Ephesians. And the way it seems to be working out, I, I have this broken out into, I think, 20 different lectures. So we're, we're halfway there, um, and, uh, which means we'll probably, before the, the, the term ends next semester, we'll have to do something else. But uh, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. But this is, uh, this is Ephesians part 10, uh, and it coincides with the back-to-school time, all right? Uh, our kids have been back to school now for at least two weeks, and uh, it's always shocking to me how quickly you start seeing signs and, and advertisements and, and, uh, and whatnot advertising it's back to school, right? They, they get out of school in, in May, and then I, I promise you by June, you're starting to see back to school, back to school, and my kids hate it. They hate it. They, they don't, when, they, when summer starts, they don't want to hear anything about school the entire June and July at minimum. Uh, they don't want to hear anything. As a matter of fact, when we'll drive by the school, I'll drive by the school, they, they won't even make eye contact with the school. <laughs> they turn their, they divert their eyes away because, and even if I say, <laughs> sometimes now that I know that they do that, they're like, look, school, dad. They don't want to, they don't want to know it. And, and, but here's the, but there's, here's the problem with their, their distaste of all things school during the summer. They don't, they don't mention the things they actually need for school until they're actually in school, okay? They'll tell us all the supplies they need when, when all the shelves have been completely depleted of everything. And, and, uh, and so at that point, we're left to order from Amazon or some, some online retailer, which, yes, sometimes means overnight. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you, they're out, too, once in a while. So most recently, the items that they needed right away that, yes, could have been purchased ahead of time was the old compass and the protractor. Do we remember these things from, from uh, geometry, the compass and the protractor? And uh, we also had quite the lengthy conversation about which was which. Because <laughs> I remember using the compass and the protractor, but I couldn't remember. The, the compass is the pointy thing that makes circles, right? And the protractor is the, the one that does the, the angle. See, I remember a lot from geometry. Uh, and so, and the funny thing was, as we said, good news, uh, your brother has compass and a protractor very lightly used that, uh, that we can give to you. And he's like, no, 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 I want my own. I want my own brand new one. Uh, we did not oblige. Uh, the compass and the protractor, protractor still work great, good as new. But uh, given the notice that we were given, uh, this seemed like the perfect solution, right? That, that uh, both provided him with the necessary tools he needed for school and in a timely manner. The geometry implements he had by day two of his class. Now, all that to say, we are committed 
to giving our children the necessary tools to carry out what is expected of them at school. Now that will serve as a great transition to what I want to talk to you about today in Ephesians, the necessary tools, okay? I want to talk to you about something that if you've been around me for any length of time, surely you've heard me talk about it before, but even if you haven't heard me talk about this, uh, if you have or you haven't, it, it's always helpful to remember these things. This is one of the central principles of scripture that you need to remember and, and keep in your mind because otherwise, otherwise, Scripture turns into a list of rules without remembering what I'm about to tell you right now. Can anyone tell me what I mean when I speak about the indicatives and the imperatives of Scripture? The indicative and the imperative. Do you have any recollection at all what we mean by the indicative and the imperative? Give me your best shot. And, and if you don't, I'm about I'm going to tell you what it is anyway. But do you remember what we mean by the indicative and the imperative of Scripture? One of them is a rule. Okay, which do you think is the rule? Yes. Okay, so imperatives maybe. We'll think of it. So what's the indicative? Suggestions, pointers. So the Bible is, point, is, is distributed into suggestions <laughs> and rules, right? Maybe, maybe. Okay, ver, very basically, very basically. Good efforts, good effort. I, I, good, I, I'm just going to tell you exactly what it is. Uh, the imperatives of the Bible tell me what I must do. Okay, the imperatives of the Bible, they're commands. Okay, they're commands of the Bible. The indicatives of the Bible tell me what has been done. Okay, what has been done, chiefly by God or by Jesus. Again, the imperatives are the commands. They tell me what I must do, and the indicatives tell me what has been done by God. Now, here's what you need to understand about the uh, imperatives of the Bible, the commands of the Bible. Whenever you see a command in Scripture... Whenever you see a command in Scripture, it's never just a naked command. Go do this. The commands of the Bible, the imperatives, are always preceded by or immediately followed by the indicative, the indicator of what has been done by God. There's never just a, a, a blind command in the Bible. It's always accompanied by the indicative. Let me give you an easy example. If I were to ask you off the top of your head now, how do the Ten Commandments start? Who can tell me that? How do the Ten Commandments start? There shall be no other gods. That's commandment number one, right? Is that how the commandments start? The commandments start with the indicative. The commandments start with... And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's how the Ten Commandments start. We, we, we always want to jump to commandment number one. Show me the rules. What are the rules? But we often forget about the indicatives, what, what, what they say about who God is. In other words, this is saying, hey, before I give you all these commandments, I want you to remember something. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember that. The God that gave you the power, the God who, who, who supernaturally leads you by day, a, a pillar by day, or cloud by day, pillar by pillar fire by night, the God who swallowed up the Egyptian army uh, in, the, in, the, in the sea, the God who, who feeds you uh, manna from heaven, you know, that God, the God who strengthens you and fights your battles for you, that God has a few commandments for you. Okay, and that's what you always have to remember before you even get to the commandments is that there are indicatives. So more simply, remember who your power source is 
as I detail these commandments for you. It's essentially that's what God is saying. Now, here's one more. This is from Colossians 3. Uh, listen to this. If you can, let's see if you can hear the indicative and the imperative. This is Colossians 3, starting in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, which, which is which? Which is the indicative? Where do, you, do you see them both here? Which is which? Say, say again. The imperative is verse 5. Put to death. Okay, and imagine, I crossed that off for a reason. Okay, let me go back for a second. Verse 5. Uh, put to death, this is the command, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual morality, that, that's the command. So the indicative, the indicative is, is the first part, right? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Uh, when, 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 uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, here's why this is important. Imagine, imagine if we lived life according to only the imperatives, Imagine if the Bible were only just a set of rules, you know, one rule after the other. Uh, let's see what the Bible has for me today. You open up your Bible and it would say something like this. And that's why I crossed out therefore, because if it's just a bunch of rules, there's nothing, there's no transition here. It's not saying therefore in light of that. That's always a good indicator that you're, you're reading something that is, is a, an indicative. Because he's saying therefore, imperative, right? It would just be this. If you just open your Bible and it said, put to death what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Okay, good luck. Go do it. I, I, ho I hope, you do, hope you do a good job, okay? But what does that do? Again, it makes you, gives you a list of things. The gospel, the gospel indicatives, uh, that's what makes obedience to the imperatives possible. It's the gospel that makes your obedience to the commands of the Bible possible, Okay, uh, do you see that? Do you, see, do you understand that there's, there's no commandment in the Bible that we are to follow apart from the power and the presence of the Spirit of God? Does that make sense? Everyone, you can, you can look all day long throughout the scriptures, and I promise you, every time you see a commandment of the Bible, you're going to see a reminder, an indicative, an indicative that says, this is how you do it. This is in whose power you accomplish what I'm asking you to do. Every single time. Now, we're going to finally get into Ephesians. And how does Ephesians chapter 4 start? That's where we are today. How does it start? It starts with a command. Ephesians chapter 4 starts with a command. It starts with an imperative. And, and this command, in the opening verses of chapter 4, uh, the first six verses tell us what the rest of the book of Ephesians is about. Okay, the, 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 the first uh, six verses of this chapter. The opening sentence is the topic centers for the rest of the letter. And it's all laid out with this foundational indicatives that we read in the first three chapters. So everything basically up to this point in Ephesians chapters one through three is, is just a bunch of indicatives. It's reminding you who you are and by whose power you are and that you're, you're, it's no longer Jew or Gentile. You're all part of the family of God now. And not only that, but remember the one of the, I keep saying week after week, the, the thesis statement of, uh, of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, for by grace you've been saved and this not of yourself. This is not, even that's not of your own doing, lest any man should boast. Even your faith is a gift of God. So in light of that, now we're getting into starting into chapter four. So this is uh, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. It's toasty in here. Uh, I therefore, 
a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner. See, this sounds very, this is very much commandment sounding like, right? But again, if you don't remember the first three chapters and you jump into this, this is, this is pretty heavy. This is pretty heavy to be told to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Wow, walk in a manner worthy. How do, how do I live up to that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what's the command? The command is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called with all humility and gentleness. And again, that weighs a lot if you don't understand the indicatives that come before it. Okay, how do we do it? That's a lot to expect from someone. How are we supposed to do that? And again, if, if we don't read what immediately preceded it, let's, let's go back to chapter 3 starting in verse 16. This will give us a hint of what was the indicative before we get into the commandments, okay? That according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In light of that, now, with this understanding, let me say this first, now, go do this. Okay, know that, steep in that, know that you're being strengthened with the power of the Spirit. Know that Christ dwells in your heart. Know that you're rooted and grounded in love. Be ambushed by the length, and we talked about that last week, being ambushed by the length and the height and the depth of of the love of Christ and, and being filled with the fullness of God. And once you understand that, once you know that, now walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you've been called. See that? Does that make sense? You get that? So important. It's so important. And again, anytime you read the Bible, how many times have you talked to people that just give you the, the notion that, well, the Bible's just a bunch of rules, and it is, it is a bunch of rules, but again, it's also couched in indicatives. It's also couched in reminders of, of who you are, okay? So take that and understand that and know that first, okay? And here's the thing, the whole book of Ephesians, uh, the whole book of Ephesians is one giant outline of the indicative and the imperative. You know, for the, again, first three chapters, everything we've gone up to this point, Paul's been giving us the, the indicative. He's been telling us all the things that he's done for us. Now, as we receive these commands for the rest of the letter, you have to remember in whose strength we accomplish them, okay? Uh, you have a, a manner of conduct as a Christian. You have a, and this is why we, we put the signs at the door, how to build a church, because, again, we have an outline here, how to be the church, how to, how to, how to, how to uh, that, that manner of conduct that is expected of, of you. But, again, not just rules to follow, rules to follow in light of who you are, okay? That's that you have all, you have the compass and the protractor. You have all the necessary tools to do the things that are being asked of you. Okay, that's that. Um, one more thought on this, the, the whole idea of indicative, uh, indicatives and imperatives. Knowing that, knowing that that's how the scriptures speak to you, I'm gonna give you an indicative and now here's the imperative. How does that, how does that play out in your everyday life as a Christian? How do the indicatives and the imperatives tangibly manifest themselves in how you interact with other people? Can anyone connect those dots? I bet you can. It's kind of a stretch, but think about it. Yeah, Jody. So, kind of even behind uh, how we interact with people, what strikes me is, you know, if you've ever tried, like I have, um, to do the imperatives mm-hmm. on your own, 
kind of results in number one failure. Yeah. Number two, hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Number three, uh, sort of judgmentalness. Mm-hmm. And number four, uh, it, it kind of can circle back to a resentment towards God. Mm-hmm. It's like I, this is just, you know, just never had a peace. It's overwhelming. But mm-hmm. when you, when it flows out of a freedom that those previous the, the indicatives, it's just like, oh gosh, I'm free to do this. And actually, I kind of, I want to do this. And you're, it, it's a totally different way. It is. To life. And then, then you're free to love other people because you're not on the treadmill. Okay. When it comes to loving other people, how do the indicatives and imperatives play out? Let me, let me ask it a different way. Let me ask you this, and maybe this will cause the light bulb to go off. Do you ever give commands to people? Are there people you give commands to? I think there's probably several examples that we could go through, whether it's uh, children, uh, whether it's an employer-employee uh, relationship. Even if, it's, even if it's your neighbor, even if it's your neighbor and you're interacting with your neighbor and you're telling them, uh, you need to do something, right? So what, what does this tell us how to do that? In light of how the scriptures are oriented, how does that tell us how we give orders? How do we do that? Huh? In love. Okay, first, we, we have to be people of indicative and imperative. We have to be people of saying that here, here's the love first. Here's everything, everything you need to know. Here's everything, all the love that's been poured out for you. Here's how I'm going to love you. Here's how I'm going to show up for you. Here's how I'm going to do all the things that you need to, 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 to uh, 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 just to, to walk and, 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 and live. I'm going I'm to love you first. And then I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You see what I'm saying? Even with my kids. Even with my kids, if I only give my kids rules and things to follow and I never give them something, an expression of, here's how I love you. Here's how I love you. If I never give them that, you know what? Just like Jody was saying, they're eventually going to hate the rules. They're eventually going to get to a place where I can't live up to this. Same thing. Same thing in the scriptures. That's how it plays out. Uh, uh, let's, let's look at the bigger picture. of. Uh, does that make sense? Think of that. As you, as you walk through life, you have to be a person of indicative and imperative. So whatever imperatives you give to someone, that they're always couched in indicatives too. Your love, your expressions of love, how you love them, okay? Don't forget that. Uh, let's look at the bigger picture of what, what Paul is saying in these first six verses. Let's look at these first six verses again. This is Ephesians uh, 1, yeah, 1 to 6. Um, let me pick up in verse 4. Uh, Eager to maintain, uh, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So what's being said here? These first six verses, Paul is stressing the fact that because we are one singular body, right? He's stressing unity. Unity, though we're different, extremely diverse in so many, many ways, yet we're one. He stresses that in a couple of ways. First of all, he says we must maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says make every effort to maintain unity. He doesn't say find it. He doesn't say grasp it, create it, gain it. He's telling us now this is one of the things you have to go out and do. Okay, you have to go maintain unity. 
Okay, the reason he says that, because he's, he's likening the church to a body, a physical body. He's saying here that the unity of the body, the unity that we have together between one another, is so supernatural. It's not something that you can attain, not something you can gain. You can only maintain. It's a gift. It's been given to you, but now your responsibility is to maintain that unity. All right? So here's a great example of that. Uh, if you have been to the sermon, uh, you heard Charles McGowan. Uh, reference Tim Keller and, and all of the work that he's done uh, and all the writings that he's done on, on the prodigal son. Uh, Tim Keller's uh, memorial service was earlier this week. So in that, I'm also going to share a Tim Keller illustration that's really about someone else. Uh, Tim Keller spoke about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Do you all, have you all, are you familiar with Martin Lloyd-Jones? He's got, lived in Britain early 1900s. And, and the, the, the British world is still more class conscious than the American world, and back then even, even more so. Uh, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was an educated man. He was a leading surgeon, okay? Uh, and eventually he left medicine. Martin Lloyd-Jones left medicine to become a preacher. He went and took a small mission church in a poor area of Wales, and the people in his church tended to be extremely poor and, and very humble educationally. He wrote that one day that he was realizing that he was coming under the accusation of the devil. He was coming under the accusation of the devil. What does that look like? Okay, usually when you hear a phrase like that, we tend to think of the exorcist or something like that. You know, what he's talking about is something probably many of you have experienced, okay, that I've experienced. It wasn't demons flying around the bedroom or anything like that. Instead, it was a voice that sounded a lot like his own, he said. A voice that sounded a lot like his own. And that voice started to ask himself questions like, what makes you think you're really a Christian? Have you ever heard that voice? What makes you think you're really a Christian? You call yourself a Christian. What makes you think you're a Christian when you think like that, when you do things like that, when you act like that? Are you really a Christian? Have you ever heard that? I, again, I have. I have. So, so you're, you're hearing this internal voice, and, and he turned to the voice. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones turned to this voice and said, explain this for me then. I would rather spend three hours talking about the Lord to the humblest fisherwoman on the shores of Wales than I would sit and talk about philosophy and history and all the things I was educated with, with the people of my own class who don't share the Lord. I'd rather, I'd rather spend time with that poor fisherwoman talking about Jesus than I would in, in the high society of, of, of philosophy, which I am educated in, which I have my PhD in and all that. I'd rather spend time with this poor fisherwoman. Why is that? Why do you suppose that is? What he was saying was, how do I explain the fact that I feel more of a unity with someone utterly different than me culturally, utterly different than me socially and, and, and racially and and different than I do even, you know, have with my own kind, so to speak. How is it that I feel more at home with this person in Christ than I would with someone of my own ilk, so to speak? Do you understand? Have you ever thought about that? And, and I, I found myself saying that, all the, thinking that too. I'm like, yeah, if, if you gave me the choice, if, who am I going to spend my time with? The, the people that I, I can really identify with and speak to Christ about and understand what what we went through last week in, in an ordination service, that's weird. That's a weird service. We, we came in in robes. Well, I didn't, but I, but I left with a robe. That is bizarre. Who does that except for Lord of the Rings or something like that, right? Does that make any sense? No, I didn't feel any kind of, you know, uh, ostracizing because that. I, just, I felt love. I felt acceptance. And of course I feel at home. 
than anyone that I would feel with at, at the university, in my former world of publishing, in my former world of, of VeggieTales even, you know. Uh, I would ra much rather do that. Uh, there's a deeper bond between Christians than any other social bond that exists. The bond that exists between you and me as Christians is deeper than what exists culturally or politically, far and away. You and I, we each have the same living, active Holy Spirit that resides in each one of us. And more than anything that could possibly divide us, that Spirit of God is stronger, much stronger, much, much stronger. Do you believe that? Have you experienced that? And again, whenever you find yourself at odds with somebody, remember that. The same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in that person too. Especially as I, as I speak of the, of the, you know, the, the brotherhood and sisterhood of, of, uh, of Christians. Much stronger bond. In Acts 2, it doesn't just say people were converted. It says every day the Lord added to their number to the church, those who are being saved. The unity of the church does not come from something you do. The unity of the church is done for you. It's something that happens to you. And though we're all in different places in our spiritual walk, we still are united as one body. We're one body, okay? Remember that. So how do we, any ideas, how do we maintain how do we maintain that unity? Because we're being told to maintain it. We're given a command here, maintain this. How do we maintain unity with one another? Who's got some ideas here? How do we maintain, how do we maintain unity? I mean, let's just spitball in here. Let's just brainstorm. Fruit of the Spirit, which is what? You got them all. All right, way to go. And so how did, <laughs> it's in the song. I, same way, same way. The song that I've memorized years ago uh, didn't have goodness in there, so I always have to go back and tack that on at the end. I don't know why. But okay, so how, yeah, <laughs> you're not very good. Yeah, yeah. So how does that, what does that look like? Fruits of the Spirit, uh, we, we know what they are now. How do they manifest themselves between one another? Grace. Grace. We give each other grace. Kindness. And forgiveness. Okay, so patience. You guys are doing amazing here. What else? Humility. Humility, humility, humility. It's the, I think I have it somewhere in my notes here. It's the secret sauce to Christianity. It's the one I'm most proud of. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Very well done. I, I, once, I once heard an a, a, a old um, pastor of mine say, he was, tell, it was a pastor's joke, which are, almost as good as dad jokes. And he says uh, there was once a pastor who from his church received a pin uh, for his humility. They took it away from him because he wore it. <laughs> there are two things in particular that we're going to look at and focus on for the remainder of our time. The, the first is, you already said it, patience, bearing with one another in love. The second is humility. Okay, humility and, and gentleness. Okay, and these come right out of verse two. Paul is asking us to have patience bearing with one another in love. And he's asking us to carry ourselves with humility and gentleness. These, these are the components of maintaining unity in the body. Okay, so first, patience bearing with one another in love. The first thing you have to realize is that we're all in different spots. Okay, we're all in different places. And, and even though we're, we're in different spots, we still have to live with each other. And, and, and be long-suffering with one another, right? Each of us have to realize that we're, we're all start, we all start at the same point, just like when we're, we're, we're physically brought into this world, when you're born, we all come in as babies. But when you first become a Christian, what are you? 
you're like a spiritual baby when you first become a Christian. That's why Peter speaks of, in 1 Peter speaks of being born again. It's, it's like being born. Okay, what that means is that when the Holy Spirit takes up residency within you, he doesn't immediately create a full-blown spiritual adult. He creates spiritual babies. And just like a real baby that needs time to develop and learn and then walk and then talk, these things take time. They take time in every one of us. No one, even when they, 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 they profess their love of Jesus and, and come to Jesus, none of them, none of them come as, as, as fully converted, so to speak, and, and fully sanctified. None of them. Okay? Uh, and what that means, again, uh, so often Christians, we, we, we come to church and we tend to be focused on, on ourselves. Uh, and I do this too. I, I, am, I am right there with you. I, what am I going to get out of worship today? How, how is the sermon going to speak to me today? I, I didn't get much out of that sermon. Or, or I, I like this person better than that person because I, I get more out of them, right? Be, be tolerant of the babies among you. Be tolerant of the babies among you. Don't get exasperated with the babies around you who aren't, the, who aren't at the same spot as you. You were once in that very same spot. Consider their well-being. Consider their needs just like you would do with a real baby. Have you ever noticed that babies are really self-centered? <laughs> you don't notice that? They, all, they want all the attention. They, they, they're never sacrificed. They never give. They never, they never they, after all that I've done for you today, when am I going to, why don't you do the dishes? Why don't you vacuum the hall? They, they're never like that, right? Why is that? Well, because they're babies. They're babies. You know, we teach them and we stay with them until they can say, first of all, they can start doing things for themselves. It, it, that, that takes a long time, though. It takes a long time for a baby to start doing things that are contributing toward the things going on around you. Yet, you know, we, we can't become exasperated in the meantime. You know, again, it makes about as much sense to be exasperated with a, a two-week-old baby as it does with, with a brand-new Christian. We have to realize that there are people among us and around us that are spiritual infants. And again, we can't make church all about us, but we have to remember these spiritual infants around us. Now, don't go pointing fingers, infant, <laughs> you know. You know, again, that's part of being humble, too. Is, is understanding that, listen, I, I was once just like this. I was not so long ago, okay? Uh, here's something else. Babies, babies aren't discerning. You ever notice that? They don't know good food from bad food. I remember when my youngest, uh, when he was an infant, we, we would go to the beach and he would, we'd plop him on the sand there. And what would he do? He'd take a handful of sand and, <laughs> and put it in his mouth. We're like, gross, stop doing that. And we'd fish it all out. It's nasty. And then he'd do it again. <laughs> You know, it's like you didn't realize that that tasted terrible the first time. They go right back at it, putting the sand in their mouth. Babies aren't discerning. We have to tolerate their lack of discernment and even help them discern what is good to eat and what is not good to eat. What is good theology from bad theology. That's part of what we're doing with one another around here, is helping each other in that regard. Um, babies don't focus very well either. They don't focus on any one thing very long. They have a short attention span. They're, they're not steady. They can easily tip over right? Uh, and I can't get exasperated over that. Why can't you hold your neck up? Imagine if I said that, right? You, you may have mastered patience, and, uh, and I may just be getting started, right? Uh, on either hand, I may have mastered loving my neighbor, and, and you're just getting started in that regard. We have to remember that. We're in different places, and again, they are all among us. We're all at different places, and we have to have some sense of understanding in that. Um, uh, and in another degree, we're, in some sense, we're all babies. We all have a measure of, of, of baby in us. 
none of us have fully arrived. There are some things that you and I uh, maybe are different at, but again, I may just be getting started and figuring out what humility is. I may be just figuring out how to, how to be patient or self-controlled, even though I may be masters in these other areas. Okay, remember, we're at different spots, and in some sense, we're all, we're all babies in some way or another. Make sense? Any thoughts, comments, or questions? It's hot in here, isn't it? I, I don't even know. I, I was telling someone in the class, can they, can they change it? Apparently, the story goes is that when they built this building years ago, one of the first budget cuts was, well, our AC system can't be as sophisticated as we'd like it. And so instead of having zones, it's just one blast of cold air that makes its way through the, the building. And so if you change the temperature in this room, it, it somehow uh, causes an earthquake in China or something like that. I don't know. It's a butterfly effect. Yeah, it does. It's freezing in the sanctuary. Almost there, so. Any thoughts, comments, or questions on that? Do you, do you understand that? Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, Jack. <laughs> Not on the AC system. <laughs> on, on, on tolerating one another. Don't no, comments on the AC system. Yeah. I remember being in college, and I came to faith my freshman year, and was like disciple through campus outreach. It was really, I mean, I was in four or five Bible studies a week. I had a mentor, and I just, I grew like a weed. And I remember finishing college and thinking, wow. You know, I've arrived. I've arrived. I'm here. <laughs> Yeah. Was I in college, and I had all the boxes. I mean, I was, you know, um, and you know, then I go to seminary, and I'm like, finish seminary degree. Oh wow, I've, you know, and a few years after that, I can look back and think, what a baby. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but then fast forward that to now, I'm 42. What am I going to think when I'm 47? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look back at 42 year old Jack and think, wow, you know, what a baby. You know, so I, I, I pray and I hope that I'll have that humility at 47. Two, two responses to that, and again, I, this is not my original thought, but I, maybe even Tim Keller too, but I've heard him say something like, you know, none of us, like for instance, if I'm a 50-year-old, look back at our 40-year-old selves and say, boy, I had it all figured out back then. No, there's always something else that we can figure out, especially when you're, you know, looking back on your 30-year-old self or your 20-year-old self. None of us ever say, yeah, I really had it all figured out back then. We're, we're still learning. And again, just like you're saying, when, when I'm 60, I'll look back on my 50-year-old self and say, I didn't have it figured out back then either. And even going through this process of ordination, you know what? You don't have me all worked up about it. I mean, I've been through seminary. You know, I've been on staff here for four years now. I've been an elder in the church a long time. You know what had me so worked up about the, the ordination process? Was all that I still didn't know whether I was going to be tested and quizzed upon and, and, and asked different questions of things that I potentially didn't know. And then you know, the more you, you, you dig into these things, the more you realize how much you don't know and how much growing you have to. There's just so much. There's so much. Yeah, Dean. Um, I think I was thinking about this the other day that as humans, I was I'm rereading the Narnia series and mm-hmm. this, this idea about mountains and valleys that we think we're, we're closer to the sun or closer to God at the top of a mountain. Or in, in a valley, we think of this. And really, when you're, you're talking about in the big picture, like like learning and learning more about the Bible. You can you can learn as much as you can learn, and you don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's the we think we're higher or closer, but it's just a never-ending struggle. Yeah, never. That's that's the uh, the wonder of learning is realizing how much you don't know. That really is. All right.
Let me, I'm going to try and get us out of here in, uh, in five minutes here, so I'm going to land the plane. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about, I think I made a slide for this. No, I didn't. Well, humility and gentleness. But this is, uh, when, I, when I Google the definition for humility, this is what I get. Uh, a modest or low view of one's own importance. Humbleness. Again, that's a great definition. You want to know what the Christian definition is? Again, I, for those of you that know me very long, you know that I've quoted this verse a thousand million times. This is it. This is the Bible in a nutshell. This is the secret sauce to Christianity. And whenever you, remember, whenever, you, whenever you feel like you're high on your horse, remember this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though Christ Jesus was in the form of God, though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he, form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In theology, when we speak about uh, Christ's humiliation, his humiliation, we tend to think of that, well, just his time on the cross. No, his humiliation began the moment he took on human flesh and persisted all the way through until his death on the cross. That was his, and again, that, that's, that's, what, that's what gives us access. What gives us access to the Father was Christ's humility. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count, Equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself. And this is the model. This is the mindset that you and I should adopt. The emptying of oneself. Uh, again, secret sauce to Christianity. So our duty, just it was, as it was Christ's duty of, of, of emptying yourself, the setting aside of our rights for the sake of our friends and brothers, whatever we think we have claim to, whatever we think we have a right to, we set it aside for the sake of unity. You and I, we have to be people of humility. So in other words, we're, we're not people that say me first. We're people that say you first every single time. Does that mean I have to be a walking mat? Well, <laughs> you know, that inevitably we always go there. Does that mean I have to let people walk all over me? Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. But you know, Christ endured the cross. He let people walk on him. And so most of the time, no, I'm not telling you to be walked on, but, but how, how far can you go? How far can you take it? Because we seldom take it to the point that we're being walked on like mats. We, we sometimes don't even get 10% of the way there. What, what, if we, what if we just decided to go 20% toward being a, a walked on mat or 40%? You know, we don't even get that far usually. We don't even get that far, okay? How do, how do we discover in what areas we're being spiritually mature? How do, how do, you, how do you bring that out of yourself? How am I being... Uh, how, do, how do I find a way to, to bring this out of myself? There's a number of ways. There's always the word, prayer, sacrament. But in the context of what Paul is talking about here, what's he talking about? It's in the context of a body. It's in the context of, of being together, being one another. So if we're being spiritually immature, if we're not being humble enough, how do we bring that out? What's the best way to bring that out? Is it just about being introspective? Or how do you bring it out? It, what? Serving is one way. Why? What does serving do? It takes your mind off you. It takes your mind off you. Listen, in the context of a body, the best way sometimes to bring out your faults and maybe what needs work on is each other, one another. I'm going to give you a, a lighthearted example. Um, have, you, have you ever, I mean, for those of you that have ever been told, uh, you have bad breath. What is your immediate impulse? I do not. <laughs> we have this way of, of thinking about ourselves that we, we, we tend to look at ourselves in the most positive light. And so why would, why would someone lie about that? 
you know? If someone tells you you have bad breath, just believe them. We don't, we don't, we don't want to do that. If, if it's my wife, and I'm, now here's the thing. My wife, if she's going to tell me that, listen, your, your breath is, why does it smell like you, you swallowed a moldy gym sock? That's one way she could do it, right? Or what's another way she could do it? That's exactly what I was going to say. If my wife ever subtly slides me a mint or a piece of gum, loud and clear. I get it. I understand. Now, there's two things happening there. Number one, I have to be able to receive what she's telling me, what she's telling me in love. Again, she's not telling me because she has an axe to grind. At least I don't think, right? I know her well enough to know that. But number two, she has to be willing to do it in a manner that is not accusing me of swallowing a moldy gym sock, right? There's, there's nice ways to go about these things. So if you and I are going to live in unity together and, and we're going to be open to the idea that, listen, I'm not perfect, I have to be willing to receive the criticism that you give me and you have to be willing to deliver that criticism to me in a manner that is reflective of gentleness, you see that? That's what Paul is telling us to do. That's how we maintain unity with one another. We have to be willing to, to, to have this relationship together. We have to be willing to speak. We have to be willing to say the hard words. But, number one, you have to be willing to do that gently. And number two, you have to be willing to receive it in humility. Got it? That is so important. If we can figure out just that much as a church, if we can figure out just that much, we, we, there's no stopping us. There is no stopping us because that, that is exactly what Christ did. That is walking in the manner of Christ. All right, and I'm going to put a pin. I think I have more stuff there, but uh, I am burning up here, literally sweating to death. Uh, any, th- any other comments? Let's see. Any, yeah, we've got time for a few comments. Just one observation that's just so beautiful is even in that calling and indicative, there's the imperative. Mm-hmm. This is one that you could argue, you know, the, the uh, uh, imperative comes first. But again, immediately followed by the indicative because you're, you're being told, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Well, how do I do that? Well, by look what he did. Look what he did on your behalf. Look what he did on your behalf. That's how you do it. You do it by the power of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves. So, yeah, great, great observation. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's uh, one of our one of our, our uh, components, and I talk about this. I, I do uh, announcements this uh, this morning in church, uh, and it's that component of our discipleship pathway: worship, connect, and serve. The connect portion is is a plea for you to become involved in the body of Christ on a smaller level, so you can have that exact dynamic right there. Because again, it, it would be really difficult for me right now, even in this context right here, to to gently tell you anything to gently tell you anything that's, that's, uh, that's going to challenge you to, to, to change your behavior or to engage in, in, the, in a spirit of, of humility. But in a group of six, in a group of eight, uh, it's a lot easier to do that. It's almost uh, unavoidable even. And so what I'm asking people this morning is if you're willing to be one of those people to open your home and facilitate one of those smaller guys, we need that. We need a lot of people to, to volunteer for that because we have people coming in saying, I want to be a part of that. 
I want to have that smaller, that smaller intimate dynamic, but, uh, but I, got, I got nowhere to go. Where can you send me? <laughs> All of our groups, you know, are full right now. So we need other people to do that, okay? Great point. Someone else? Thought, comment, question, concern? What, what, what do you think the temperature is in here right now? If you had to guess. <laughs> if you just had to guess. We're in the 80s for sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, I feel... <laughs> That's a good idea. Maybe ceiling fans would be enough to push the hot air around. Yeah. All right. Well, let me, uh, let me uh, close this in prayer. And again, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, or anything that you want to discuss with me after the fact, I am your pastor. <laughs> I can do that. I could do it just like I could before. I still, my office is always open, uh, and I would love to talk to you more if, you, uh, if you're still struggling through any of these concepts or ideas. So let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Again, we uh, want to thank you for uh, the letters that you've given us uh, through the Apostle Paul and, and other apostles and, and other prophets. Uh, thank you that we can look to the scriptures and uh, definitively say this is your word. This is your word for us. Help us to, to take it in. Help us to absorb it in humility. Help us to speak it in gentleness, uh, to build one another up. Not so that we're accusatory, not so that we're judgmental, but help us to reflect the mind of Christ, uh, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Help us to do that and help us to be in that dynamic with one another uh, in the church. And uh, we'll be careful to give you all the praise. Uh, And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. See you in church.